0: In 2014 during the winter time I had my first ever visit to the city of Chicago and before I left you know I had heard about Chicago winters And so I packed all of my Bay Area winter clothes and I flew over to Chicago and I was ready to eat deep dish pizza, have an amazing time. As soon as I land and I step outside, it's supposed to be in the middle of the afternoon, the warmest part of the day, I knew that I had made a big mistake because all my winter clothes here from California are like from H&M or like Urban Outfitters. They're nothing. And I stepped outside and immediately I was hit with the frigid cold and realized I could not survive here. And so as the day progressed, it got colder and colder and colder. And so me and my friend, we stopped walking the streets. We literally couldn't because it hurt to walk. And we just went into the nearest store and bought like three layers of outer clothing. And by, that, by the time nightfall hit, I believe it hit negative 40 wind chill in Chicago. It was demonic, guys. It was ungodly. Um, but I don't know if you've ever gone to, to some place and you, you didn't prepare for the season That you were going into, whether it was a SoCal summer or the Vegas heat or New York chill, whatever it might be, you didn't prepare yourself for the season that you were entering into. How many of you know that understanding what season you're in determines what expectations you should have as well as what posture you should take? One of my favorite things, I'm really sick and twisted in this way, I love when people move to the Bay Area and they're just so excited to bring out their summer clothes for the summer. And they wait and June comes like, oh, it's not warm enough to wear them yet. And then it's July, still not warm enough to wear them. August, still not warm enough. I thought this was supposed to be summer. And then September, randomly, there's like one week of heat. Finally, I can wear them. And the next week, oh my God, it's too cold, right? I love when people come and they're just, their expectations are dashed. See, if we don't know what season we're in, and we don't know what expectations to have or what postures to take, right? You should expect it to snow in New York in January. You should prepare yourself for that weather. You shouldn't plan a picnic in the heat of Las Vegas summer because, well, actually, maybe you could boil your egg on the sidewalk. That would be great and convenient. But in the same way, understanding what season we're in spiritually What stage of faith we're in right now helps us understand what expectations we should have during this time, as well as what postures we should take, what practices we should engage in. Listen, some of you are pressing and warring in a season where God's actually called you to rest. And it's actually producing no fruit and just burning you out. Some of you are chillaxing in a season where God's called you to a radical pursuit. We have to understand the seasons we're in, the stage we're in, in order to know how God has called us to live and respond. And this is why a long time ago I stopped judging other Christians and other believers. You know, when I was younger, I used to look at some of the older Christians be like, Hey, why don't you jump up during the fast songs, huh? Like, why aren't you fiery and passionate about God? And I just realized there are stages of faith that we enter into, and we can't judge other people based on what stage they're in because it might look different from ours. Ecclesiastes 3.1, you know the famous passage... They say there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And so I want you to understand this concept. We go through seasons of our lives just like we do the seasons that we see. We actually go through seasons of our faith, stages of our faith. There are seasons of our spirituality. So the question becomes then how do we determine what season we're in and how do we know how to live in each of those seasons of our lives? Now, I might be dating myself here, but I used to love MapQuest. Come on. Any MapQuest people? No? Does anyone remember MapQuest? Before GPS, what we had to do was go to MapQuest.com, and we'd have to type in our destination and print out Step-by-step instructions. And I don't know how we did it, but I remember in my car on the side, there was a bunch of crumpled up pieces of paper because I'll I'll use MapQuest all the time. But the thing I love about MapQuest that we don't really get on GPS, or maybe yours does, but when I use Waze, it, it shows you the step for now and maybe the next step. But it doesn't give you a broad overview, right? You're, you're kind of zoomed in into what where you are right now and what you're supposed to do next. But the thing I love about MapQuest and what I used to do is I used to cross off as I was going through the instructions so I could track my progress to my destination. And in a sense, I think a lot of times if you want to get somewhere, you need a map, And for us in our spiritual lives, if our goal this year really is to be formed more into the image of Jesus, if our goal for life is to become more like him, we need a map. We need something to show us our progress, to show us where we're at, where we're going next, where we're going ultimately to. Maps help us get to our destination, but they also help us record the progress of our journey along the way. If you ever play RPG video games, don't you just love tracking your progress as your character gets stronger and stronger, as you go through quest and quest? See, tracking your progress helps you understand that there is an end in sight, but also this is where I'm at now, and I don't have to try to rush on ahead. And I think most believers walk through life so aimlessly for this very reason. We don't know what season we're in, and so we don't know ultimately how to respond in an appropriate way. And so today is going to be a little more teaching heavy, but I think you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. It's really fun. We kind of mentioned this before, but in this book, The Critical Journey Stages in the Life of Faith, it's by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulich. I love that name, Gulich. I just want to say it like that, Gulich. Okay, they give us a six-stage model to help us on our journey of faith. And so they map out what our spiritual lives are into six stages. And this model helps us identify what stage we're currently in, what we can expect in this season, and how God calls us toward growth. Because how many of you know you could get stuck in a stage? You could get stuck in a season. Right now, Zion is on the verge, on the cusp of walking And I want him, well, I don't actually want him to learn how to walk yet because I hear it's going to be crazy. Like, he's going to run around everywhere. He's already, he can't stay still. Uh, But I don't want him to stay stuck in this stage forever, right? I don't want him to always have us feed him and always be immobile. There's a point where I want him to move on to the next stage of his life. In the same way, we want to progress in our spiritual journey through the stages of faith so that we can continue to grow. But before we start, as we go through these six stages of faith, um, I want to give three things that I want us to consider as we go through these. Number one, these stages are meant to be descriptive and not prescriptive. Meaning this isn't a formula for spiritual growth. It doesn't adequately cover the complexities of humanity or spirituality. It's merely a tool to help us uh, track the progress of our spiritual journey of formation. The second point I want you to remember is the stages on this journey are very fluid, and so we move back and forth through them regularly, and we can experience the, more than one stage at a time. And so we don't graduate from one stage and never return, right? It's kind of like, um, even though like you graduate from kindergarten, um, you're not going to go back to kindergarten unless you become a teacher, right? In the same way, uh, this isn't like that. Sorry, not in the same way. We progress through the stages, but we can also revisit earlier stages. In fact, we're constantly reentering stages we've been through, but in new and different ways. We experience more depth as we re- revisit earlier stages again and again. And the last thing I want to say is this, earlier stages aren't better or worse than later stages. In the same way that children aren't better or worse than adults. Well, some of you might think we're better than children, but we're not. It's just different. It's a different stage. Earlier today, as we were praying, Iris gave this prophetic word for today that she got the word bloom, and what she was saying is that there's so many flowers blooming in different ways, different colors, and all of them are beautiful to God. One's not better than the other. All of them are necessary and needed. In the same way, the stages are sequential and cumulative, meaning we build upon the earlier stages, but they're not better or worse than the later stages. And then lastly, like all tools, the stages of faith model that we're going to share has limitations. Treat it as a loose guide. It's one way to help us make sense of our journey of faith, but not the only way. Y'all got that? Cool. So we're going to just go through these stages of faith. And as we do, um, I want you to try to identify what stage am I in? Or if this stage I've been in before, like what season was that like? What was it like? And then I want you to also take note of This season you're in, what is God calling me to embrace, and what is God challenging me to do to grow? Cool? All right, let's pray. God, um, I pray that you would help us identify what season we're in, what stage of faith we're in right now. Because some of us are doing things that are inappropriate for the stage of life we're in. Or maybe some of us aren't doing enough in the stage of life we're in. Or maybe some of us are doing too much in the stage of faith we're in. Would you give us the right balance? Would you show us the right way so that we're walking in step with your spirit instead of moving on our own? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen cool. Y'all ready for this? Y'all love the Enneagram and like Myers-Briggs, right? This is a cool way to kind of identify where you're at. All right. Stage one is called the discovery and recognition of God. Have you ever had an experience where you just could not deny, oh my God, God is real. I can't deny that God exists and I've met him and I've experienced him. I can't deny the reality that God is real and he's here in this place. And In this stage, in stage one, you experience God in a tangible, life-changing way. Whether it's like a conversion experience or a powerful encounter or a moment of breakthrough, whether it's instantaneous or over a long span of time, it's the undeniable realization that God is real. When I was little, Mickey, in youth group, I had my first encounter with God. I was at a youth camp, and I was this, uh, this raging hormones teenager with a bunch of pimples on my face, breaking out acne. And I remember I came um, to the youth camp that my mom signed me up for that I did not consent to, and I got sent to this youth camp because my mom signed me up and did it behind my back with a youth pastor. But I came, and I remember on the last night, I had this powerful encounter with God where I fell to my knees, and I felt the presence of God, and I saw this image of the cross. And it sounds kind of scary, but I love horror movies, so I loved it, but blood was rushing down from the cross and washing over me, and as it did, I felt so free, I felt so clean, I felt so light. And when I got up from that experience, I remember thinking, God is real. And when I got back home, like, man, I signed up for every ministry in the youth group. I was the bass player. I was the guitar player. I was a Bible study leader. I was the facilities director. Everything that I wanted to do, I did it because I had this undeniable experience and encounter with God. Can you remember a time when you just met God in that way, whether it was for the first time or many other times afterwards? This is stage one. And the stage is usually brought on by this underlying sense that you were made for something more. And maybe some of you actually are feeling that right now in this season, that this can't be it. See, this isn't just like a one-time thing. We come back to this stage again and again. And maybe some of you right now are feeling this can't be it. There's got to be more. More right? You recognize this deep sense of emptiness and dissatisfaction. You recognize your need for God for something greater than yourself. And it's here where you rediscover and discover the awe and the wonder of God, where you fall in love with him, where you can't get enough of him. You're pursuing him with all your heart entrenched in prayer and scripture and spending time with him. It's the first love experience. For those of you who've been in long-term relationships, it's that first year, right? The honeymoon phase, everything is amazing. You guys remember that? time you guys are still in it i know you guys are but when you fall in love it's the first love experience it's the honeymoon phase of our relationship with god everything is exciting and new and fresh and there's like this childlike innocence where you can only see what's good and beautiful in your faith and faith is seen through these rose-colored glasses And once again, this isn't necessarily a one-time event. This can happen many times throughout our lives, discovering and rediscovering the reality of God through many different seasons. For some of us, we come back to this place again and again, recognizing our need for God, re-encountering the beauty of God. Now, we don't want to get stuck in this stage because we want to move on. We want to progress. We want to mature. So how do we move on to the next stage? And the best way to do that is to find a strong community to be planted in, right? You find a church that you believe is a place where you could belong. You find a pastor or a leader that you feel like you could grow under. You find a culture that you want to subscribe to. Find a strong community to be planted in because the newness and the excitement will wear off. And so we need other people along with us on this journey. We need to go beyond the surface level of first of the honeymoon phase and we need to plant ourselves in an environment where we can keep growing and we can seek discipleship from mentors and leaders who are further along in their journey. Many find the move to the second stage from the first stage with the desire to follow like a significant leader or like this amazing movement or culture that you're attracted to. So that's stage one, right? Some of y'all might be in stage one. Some of you might be hungering for stage one again, but that's stage one. Stage two is called the life of discipleship. And this is like when you're learning about God and you find belonging in a community. And like, have you ever had a season? And I hope some of you are in this season right now where you're like, I have found the best church ever. I love everybody everybody in my church. I feel like I'm learning so much and I'm growing. Yeah, I feel like all of y'all are in this season, right? Yeah, I could feel it. And you feel like these are my, thanks, Paulette. These are my people. This is everything I've been looking for. You feel like you're growing, progressing. You feel like you're exactly where God's called you to be. See, in stage two, we grow in a community setting. And it's not like, you know, sometimes I know we've been through seasons where you kind of got to like really be intentional and force it. No, in stage two, it's like everything's so easy. Like we're all like so close and we're all growing together in God and it's almost effortless. There's like this grace for it. And in stage two, we grow in a community setting because we experience God primarily through our association with others. And so our de- depth with God is actually correlated to our depth with the people around us. Um, the group forms our concepts of who God is, what we should value, who we should strive to become. If you remember times like this, you remember, okay, I, we all like, kind of believe the same things about God. Like, we believe this is what it means to follow God and who God is. And it's faith by association. And in this time, we're constantly looking to others and especially to leaders and figures within movements for answers. Someone farther along in their journey that attracts us. This might be a pastor. It might be a writer, it might be an influencer now on Instagram or TikTok, a parent, it might be an artist, but at this stage, people see the cause usually, or the leader, as the answer because it, is, is, it's radically impacted them so much. Um, in the book, the author says, now we stumble upon a set of ideas, a belief system or a group of people who shows us the light and answers our questions. It is such a big relief. And feel so safe and secure like a haven in a storm. And for now, that is what we need. There's like this sense of rightness and security in our faith, right? It's like, I don't really have questions. I feel like I know. And there's like this sureness that we have found all of our answers and we feel safe. I think that's the best word I could describe it, safe for the first time in a long time. I feel like there aren't these big, nagging questions. It's just I'm so sure about God. I'm so sure about faith, and I feel secure and safe. I remember that's what um, my last church was for me back in 2012. I found a community called Living Hope. I found a leader that I wanted to follow. And I remember back then, like, it's – do you – on Facebook sometimes? I know none of us, y'all – Really use Facebook. I'm kind of old and dating myself, but do you know, like, they do like the nine years ago on this day, ten years ago? Well, recently, um, because it's been about ten years, I see all the stuff I used to post on Facebook ten years ago, and I'm cringing because I was so sure of everything. I was so sure of my theology. I was so sure who God is. I was so sure what it meant to be a good disciple of Jesus. And I was reading through a lot of these and I thought, shoot, I don't know if I believe that anymore. But I was so sure back then. That's what stage two is. And how we remain stuck is there's almost this arrogance that our way is the best way, right? I'm so sure our church is the best church, right? Our, our way is the best way. We're so real, and everyone else is so fake. Like, we're the real Jesus lovers. We're the real spiritual ones, right? We're the best. We remain blind to the shortcomings of our environment. We remain blind to the faith that we've subscribed to and we're only able to see what's good. And in turn, we develop this us versus them attitude that there's us who has the right way and them who don't have the right way. But here's the thing. The way we could get stuck, our safety and comfort, they keep us from really exploring the complex issues that aren't as black as white as we made them out to be. Because it's faith by association. We don't spend time discovering what we really think ourselves or what we really believe ourselves. And so how to move on to the next stage from stage two is you discover your gifting. And your unique contributions to your community, your organization, your church. You move from just belonging to actually contributing. And this is stage three. It's called the productive life. And maybe you've been through the productive life. We begin serving God through our spiritual gifts, and this could be in your church, could be in your community, could be in your life, and our focus becomes doing things for God, right? The truths learn in stage two where we felt like we were growing. They find an outlet here in stage three, and this leads to greater responsibilities in our lives. For me, this was during college. Um, I I frequent this story a lot, but at my church on Sundays, I was a volunteer college student. I would get to church at 8 a.m. and leave at 10 p.m. That was the productive life for me. I just wanted to pour everything that I could into this place where I found belonging, where I've grown so much. And here's the thing, most evangelical churches, this becomes like the pinnacle, right? If you belong and then you start serving the church and your city through your unique gifts, this is what spiritual maturity looks like. This is where a lot of evangelical models stop. And the implication is that the pinnacle of spiritual maturity is faithful, committed service, usually in the context of a church. However, we all know that you could be serving in the church. You could be so involved and still be completely immature, still be completely selfish and judgmental and inwardly unhealed. Right? We know that spiritual maturity is not marked by how much we do and how much we produce in our churches, in our communities. And the way we get stuck in this stage is faith becomes about productivity and performance. Doing outweighs being, and we live unsustainable lives, usually experiencing burnout. So how do we move from stage three to stage four? And I'm guessing most of us in this church are right here. We begin leaning into the questions and uncertainties we previously brushed aside. We let the questions come instead of denying them. And usually we're not moved into stage four until we experience some sort of crisis in our life or some sort of crisis of faith. Now the fun part, I think y'all will really like these parts. Stage four, um, our guest speaker a few weeks ago or a few months ago talked about this a little bit. Stage four is the journey inward. And this stage is a very deep and personal inward journey that almost always comes as like an unsettling experience. It's kind of like your world gets rocked. Our former beliefs and certainties, they're radically challenged. Like things we're so sure of, we're not so sure anymore. And it can look and feel almost like you're losing your faith. But I want, you, I want to make a distinction you're not. It's just you're entering into depth, into deeper things. And oftentimes, it can look and feel like we're losing our religion, but also that we're betraying our loyalties, right? The communities that we're a part of, like, it feels like we're betraying their values and their ideals. It almost feels like we don't fit in to the places where we belonged before, It's a time of questioning, of exploring, of falling apart, of doubting, of diving into the real issues and sinking into uncertainty. In stage four, all the answers are replaced with questions, and it sucks, right? The safety we felt in stage two and three, all of a sudden, it feels like we're just on the waters with no relief in sight. It's a season where we may prefer therapy over Bible studies, where we might prefer deep conversations in the park with other believers deconstructing instead of prayer meetings. And this stage, like I said, is usually brought on by crisis in our lives or a crisis of faith, right? A crisis that makes many of the former truths and answers no longer adequate or appropriate for this next phase of our lives. It shakes our strongly held beliefs. It shakes our understanding of who God is and how he moves. And for the first time, and this is huge, it feels like our faith isn't working anymore. Right, it, the things that worked before aren't working anymore. Our formula for faith doesn't seem like it's getting the job done anymore. For me, when I went into stage four, you know, I used to lead worship all the time, and I just knew which songs like just just hit right. Like I would play that chord, and everyone would be weeping, and I knew it'd be this powerful moment. When I entered into stage four, none of that worked anymore. In stage four, when I was experiencing that, like I used to pray for hours, like out loud. I just couldn't speak a single word in prayer anymore. Like nothing I used to do worked anymore. Neither our faith nor God provides what we need to soothe or heal us, answer our prayers, fulfill our wishes, change our circumstances, or solve our problems. And it feels like we're lost. It feels like we're losing faith. But it's in this place. Where God begins to break down the boxes that we've put him in. We learn that he's so much bigger than our previously held certainties. We learn to let go of our need to know everything and experience new facets of God's heart. It's in this stage where many of us encounter what's known as the wall. And the wall is exactly what it is, what it sounds like. You come up against something and you're stuck, like you can't get to the other side. It feels like this is gigantic wall that you can't see past. And the wall is like this face-to-face experience with God and with our own will. It's at the wall. We become aware of all the lies we've accepted, accepted about ourselves. And we're forced to face the truth about who we are in order to move forward. This involves facing our demons. This involves facing our past traumas our fears, our brokenness. And we realize there's something within us that needs to change in order for us to move forward in life and in faith. We recognize our need for inner healing. We recognize our need for therapy. We recognize our need for a deeper transformation. And the wall invites us to integrate our spiritual lives that we were so good at in the previous stages with every other part of our lives. It forces us to become a whole person. But the way we stay stuck in stage four, and I imagine many of us are in that stage. I mean, I just feel like we are in our church. We're the rebels and the runaways, right? Where a lot of the certainties are no longer there and there's a lot of questioning. But the way we stay stuck in stage four is we always remain questioning and deconstructing without moving towards reconstructing in some way. And so we're always breaking things down, breaking down previous health notions or ideas, but we're not actually trying to figure out what do I actually believe then? And we become so self-obsessed, like we're, we're always just trying to self-assess ourselves that we actually become immobilized. We're not moving toward any direction. We're stuck in place. But here's the thing. We can't go over or around or under the wall. The only way through the wall is through it. And we have to face it head on. We can only get through the wall through through two two things. Number one, self-acceptance and surrender. Learning to accept ourselves and our wounds, imperfections and all, and learning how to receive God's love and acceptance of us, that we are all broken and that we are all weak, and surrendering it all to God to receive his healing and wholeness. For me, um, the wall and season four, I mean, I talk about it a lot, was when we transitioned from our last church to starting ninety-nine. Like, theologically, what we thought church would be or should be, all of that was shaken. I mean, case in point, at our old church, we used to do this things called click tracks. Um, you guys know Hillsong Young and Free? It's like all the fun, dancey, boppy songs. And I remember we tried it. Back then when we used to do it, like, people were jumping, people were worshiping. We tried it here one Sunday. I don't know if you were there that Sunday, but it just flopped. Like, it was weird. And I realized that things that worked in the past, Like, they weren't working anymore. Things were different. And I think for us, even in our personal lives with God, our theologies, our approach toward God, nothing was working. And we had to learn how to deal with the internal issues that keep us from loving God and loving ourselves. This is stage four, and this is the wall and this might span years it might span months might span years but the only way we could go through it is to sit and face it to actually deal with who we are the truths about who we are and what we believe about god but there is another side stage 5 if we could get through stage 4 and the wall we get to stage 5 which is the journey outward in this stage the focus of our lives is outward we but it's from like a new grounded center of who we are. Like we surrender to God's will to fully direct our lives, but we also possess this newfound confidence in who we are, that God loves us fully just as we are. You know, if you've ever thought, if God really knew me, like, I don't know if you would still love me. There's none of that in stage five. We fully recognize our brokenness and our weakness, but we also confidently know that God loves and accepts us as we are and that God loves us in our humanity. And in this stage, we venture out of like our self-interest and we move towards loving others. We long for depth in relationships as opposed to like surface level acquaintances. But here's the thing, to those at earlier stages um, people in stage five, they frequently appear to be like impractical or unproductive or inefficient case in point, One of my mentors in the past, his name was pastor Daniels. I've mentioned him a number of times and pastor Daniels, you know, he's this quiet spoken man. He used to, he told me he used to do a lot of weed back in the day. And so I think that's why he's so mellow, but he's so chill and He's so, like, inefficient. Like, if he has a work day, he'll spend, like, 10 hours in his prayer closet just praying, not getting any admin done, anything done. And you would think this guy, he has so much wisdom when he talks. But if you go to his church, his church is, like, 20 old people. That's it. And every Sunday, he's serving faithfully there. And, you know, back in my early pastoral career, I used to look at Pastor Daniels and think, man, he's really wise, but, like, Man, it's like his life doesn't seem to be bearing a lot of fruit. I was almost judging him. Like, why is he moving so slow? Why isn't he blowing up? Why isn't he doing this and that? And I think for some of us, we look at people later in their lives and we think, okay, why, aren't, why are you so unproductive, right? Or why are you so inefficient? Like, if you could just learn how to use an iPhone, it would change everything. And we just think they move at such a slower pace. We almost judge them in our earlier stages, but when you get to stage five, and it's usually in our latter years, and I think, honestly, Pastor Daniel's is one of the only people I know that reached stage five. You move with this pace that doesn't align with culture, but you, when you're around them, you're like, oh, but I know they're walking with God. Like, even though they're moving so much slower than everyone else, even though their ministries have less to show for it, like, there's something about their faithfulness that I know aligns with the heart of God. And if you spend enough time with people in stage five, you feel a love that you've never felt with anyone else, right? They, people in stage five allow God to use them in their brokenness. They're not trying to hide it anymore. They're not trying to mask it. They understand, and they honor the limits of their brokenness. They move at the speed of God instead of moving at the speed of the world. They don't fit in with the realistic expectations of the world that says produce, 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 and win, win, win. They're entering into what's called a life of love, which is the last stage. And I don't think I've met a single person in stage six, but I do hear it's possible. Stage six is the life of love. At stage six, we reach far beyond our own capacity And we enter into a love for fellow human beings with deep compassion. We become aware that the more of God we have, the less of everything else we need. This doesn't mean that they renounce material possessions, they simply learn that they need them less. They're so free and full of God, so whole, no longer afraid. People in stage six can deliberately give up their lives materially, physically, mentally, and emotionally for the service of others without feeling afraid of deep loss. In stage six, our expression of love is selfless rather than needy. We love without the need for being loved in return. We love others for their sake instead of our own sake, with their goodness in mind instead of our own goodness. I mean, if you're real with yourself, is there anyone you really love in that way? I think it's a lot, it sounds good on paper, but if you go down to your deep motivations, how many of us actually love without expecting anything in return? I think it's, it's a hard thing. Having shed our false self in stage six, a self rooted in possessions, accomplishments, and human acceptance, we embrace our true selves, that of being eternally and fully loved by God. Stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, stage five, stage six. I know it's really teaching heavy. But the questions I want you to ask yourselves is this: with all of this knowledge, with all of this teaching, what stage do you think you're in right now? Are you in stage one where you're, you know, you just you just had this encounter with God recently? and you're just excited like you feel on fire you feel like i want to i want to know this is hunger right this excitement you're like you're a very eager beavery i don't know how else to describe it you're just so excited because you met god for the first time or again are you in stage 2 where I've rooted myself in community. I love my community. I feel like I'm growing. I feel like I found a leader that I subscribe to. Man, I don't care if it's a podcast like Erwin McManus or Stephen Furtick. You found someone that you're growing under and you're excited. You're, you feel so sure about what you believe. Maybe you're in stage three where now I'm beginning to like serve, serve the cause or serve the movement or serve the church or the organization. I'm starting to use my gifts, move beyond myself. And the certainty's still there, but I want to use my gifts to empower that. Maybe you're in stage four where you're experiencing the journey inward, where you're starting therapy, where you're starting to realize I can't continue on this way. You're hitting your wall. Things can't continue as they are. Nothing is working anymore. It feels like I'm lost at sea. Maybe you're at stage five. I don't know. Even though I only know one person that I think is at stage five, maybe you're at stage five where you're coming out of the wall and you're learning to love others. And it's not bogged down with your own insecurities and your weaknesses, but you're able to love freely. And maybe we can all dream for stage six where one day we'll be able to love freely without any strings attached to love like Jesus without expecting anything in return. So what stage are you in? And the questions I want you to ask are twofold. Number one, what is God calling you to embrace in this stage? Maybe, maybe you're excited in this season and you need to just embrace that. Like, don't go around those deconstructing Christians that bring you down, like make you question everything. Just enjoy your sureness. Enjoy what you're confident in this season. Maybe you're in stage four and God's calling you, embrace the doubts. Embrace the questions. Don't try to look for the answers. Just embrace the mystery of the moment. What is God calling you to embrace in your stage? And the second question, what is God challenging you to do to move on, to progress and to grow within the stage you're in maybe you're in stage two and you need to move beyond I feel belonging but now I need to give back now I need to serve maybe you're in stage three and you're serving faithfully maybe you need to step back and say man I just need to take a moment to figure out what's going on and with me with God what stage are you in how are you embracing your stage and how is God challenging you to grow in your current stage why don't we take a moment? Um, I want us to close our eyes, and I want us to enter to a time of reflection. And I want you to ask these questions with God. I want you to wrestle with them and say, God, what are you speaking to me right now? What do you want me to know about what stage I'm in? What do you want to do at this time? And I want you to just maybe even begin by asking, God, um, what stage i in? And maybe it's not so cut and dry. Maybe you're in multiple stages at once. Maybe you're going back and forth through a stage right now, like you're toggling between stage three and stage four. Maybe you're experiencing a little bit of stage four and one where you're, you've been in the journey inward. You've been at the wall, but you're starting to rediscover God. Whatever it might be, what stage are you in? And this isn't to box you in, it's just simply meant to be a tool to help you grow, to help you understand what season you're in, so that you're not in Las Vegas summer wearing a winter coat, so you're not trying to plan a picnic in the frigid, freezing cold of Chicago winter. Understanding what season you're in, what expectations God is calling you to have, and what posture he's calling you to take is some of you are waiting for God to speak to you the way that he did three years ago. And because you're so set on God speaking to you in that way, you actually can't hear the way he's trying to speak to you now. Some of you, you think, man, I'm so, what's wrong with me? Like, I can't pray the way that I used to. And maybe God's saying, I want you to learn to pray in a new way. Maybe in this season, prayer looks a lot like silence and you not saying a single word. Maybe serving this season doesn't look like serving in three different ministries at church, but learning to serve the neighbor down the street. How is God calling you to embrace your season right now? And last, what ways is God challenging you to grow from the current stage that you're in? Just take a moment to reflect on that with God.